This morning in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, we are coming together to the Beatitudes, which we have just seen and heard. Probably the Beatitudes are as famous in the Bible as the Ten Commandments. As everyone has heard of the Ten Commandments, so they have heard of the Beatitudes. Now, if we could purchase all of the books that have been written on the Sermon on the Mount and place them on our shelves, we would have a number of shelves filled with those books. In fact, many of my favorite Bible teachers have written books on the Sermon on the Mount. But equally impressive, all of the books have been written on the Beatitudes. I mean, think about that. Here are 12 verses in the scriptures, and yet there are entire verses on these, entire books on these 12 verses. How significant they are in the teaching of the Word of God. Now this morning, as we prepare to begin to look at the Beatitudes, what I want to do is look at some general principles about them. I want us to see, once again today, the the forest before we look at the trees. Because as we look at the forest about what Jesus is teaching us in this wonderful portion of his word, then the individual trees will begin to make sense. And so I invite you, if you would, take your Bibles and turn with me uh, again, as we will be many, many times over the coming weeks, to Matthew chapter 5. And today, as we begin to look at these Beatitudes, let's spend some time looking at some general principles that are so important if we are to understand all that Jesus has for us, all right? Now, here's the first principle. The Beatitudes show us that grace comes before duty and encourages our duty. How wonderful and important this is. Before there is ever one command in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus pronounces blessing. As we have seen before, nine times he says blessed. Uh, The word blessed carries the idea of favored. It is commonly called a divine passive because God is the one who blesses his people. So the idea of blessed is the Lord God is the one who is blessing or favoring the person. Now, How wonderful that is for us. Right off the bat, as we come to the Beatitudes, what we see is they are not something that we do for God, but they are something he graciously does for us. Oh, how encouraging that is. You see, when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him as our Lord and Savior, He gives to us the grace of salvation. And Ephesians 1.3 says, at that very moment, though we cannot understand all that He is doing for us, at that very moment of salvation, we are blessed in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. How many spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing. Now come here to nine blessings. And what do we discover? The Beatitudes are not do this 
and you will earn the favor of God. Instead, there God favors you. God blesses you because you have trusted his son. Now, do you know, this is nothing less than what is taught in the entire Bible. Before God ever commands us, he grants to us and saves us by his grace. And he gives us more in grace than he ever commands. Isn't that worth saying amen to this morning? He gives more to us in grace than he ever commands. And as a matter of fact, the very grace that he gives to us enables us to obey his commands. It is an incredible, incredible thing. One of the most fundamental passages of all the Bible uh, teaches us this very thing so clearly. All of us know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's the grace. And all God's people said, Amen. But, does it end there? No, it doesn't. Verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before prepared that we should walk in them. Now that's what we discover now as we come to the Beatitudes. They are not what we do for God, but what He is doing in believers. And when we see that, oh, how it motivates us to want to pursue these very qualities. One of my favorite confessions of the Apostle Paul is found in 1 Corinthians 15.10. Look what Paul says, and I love this so much. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, he says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I. But the grace of God that is with me. Does not every Christian feel this way? Do we not? Do we not say with Paul, It is by the grace of God that I am what I am. Lord, you have saved me. You have blessed me. You have made me your child and have brought me into the fellowship of your family all because of the favor of your grace. Now, Lord, by your grace, I work harder than all of them because by your grace, I want to be what you desire for me. May I ask you this morning, does not your heart beat with the Apostle Paul's as one as you read that? Do you not say together with him, I long for the same thing that he longs for. Yes, if you are a Christian, you feel that same longing. Now, dear people, I want to say this. If this is not our attitude as we come to the Beatitudes, something is amiss. Something is wrong. 
If there is not within us a stirring because these are God's gracious gifts to us, and therefore I am not satisfied until I have all of them in my life, something is amiss in our lives. Because the Beatitudes show us grace comes before duty, and then grace encourages that very duty. Let's look this morning at a second principle that are so important. Number two, the second principle is this. The Beatitudes are a package deal giving a full portrait of what a Christian looks like. That is so important for us to get. The Beatitudes are a package deal that give to us a full portrait of what a Christian looks like. Now, there are two dangers that we face as we come to our Lord's teaching on the Beatitude. Here's the first danger. Seeing them as only for super spiritual Christians amongst us and not for every Christian. There can be a real tendency for us to say, well, this is, you know, this is for the real super spiritual people. But listen, Jesus has no second-class followers, does he? He does not. And what he does for one follower, he does for all. And as he has blessed us all with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, so his plan for us is exactly the same. And he wants us, as Paul says in Ephesians 4.14, to attain to the full measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It is his plan for all of us. Now, one of the things that I did not know until I began to study the Beatitudes is the Beatitudes is a portrait of Jesus himself. As we look at these eight qualities that he shares with us, what we are seeing is the face of Jesus himself, and his portrait must be our portrait. Now, here's the second danger. The second danger as we come to the Beatitudes is seeing them as isolated from one another rather than a unified whole. You see, what we must not do is see these qualities as sort of uh, pick and choose. And so it would be very easy for us as we're looking at them to say, well, verse 5, I'm a pretty merciful person. But verse 4, I can't say that I mourn very much. So that's not one that I'm, I'm very terribly good at. Or we can look down, for example, at verse 8, and we can say, you know what? I try to be pure in heart. But then we look back at verse 5, and we say, you know what? I'm the kind of person that I don't take nothing from no one. And so I'm not very meek. And so we can begin to pick and choose. And I just want to say, no, no. Thrice, no. These are a package deal. Jesus works them all in his followers. And while we may be better at one than we are at another, we should want them all and to some extent... We should see all of them in some way if we are a growing Christian. 
In fact, here's how you know whether you're growing in your faith. Are these qualities being more revealed in your life as you walk with the Lord? They are a package deal for us. I like what one Bible teacher said. He said that the Beatitudes are are sort of like a beautiful uh, painting. Now, if I could put a painting up here that someone has painted, you would notice that there are many individual brush strokes that the artist has made as he has painted that picture. And you can pick out those various strands and and you can see how this stroke came. And if you had watched him, you could see how this stroke came. But what the artist wants you to see when it's all said and done are not the individual strokes. He wants you to see the full portrait in all its beauty and all its loveliness. Now that's what Jesus is doing. Earlier I quoted Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship. The word workmanship there means masterpiece. It is a beautiful portrait that He is describing. We are His masterpiece in Christ Jesus that He is painting of our lives. Now we come here and we say, Lord, I would like to see what is that painting look like in its fullness. And here it is. Here it is. It is what Jesus is developing within us as we follow Him together. Let's look at a third observation. The Beatitudes have both a present and future aspect to them. Now I want you to notice something in verse 3, the first Beatitude, and then verse 10 that starts the last Beatitude. Notice that the promise for both is identical. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now drop down to verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Did you notice that the first beatitude and the last have one and the same blessing? Do you know what? This is known as bracketing. The first beatitude, the last beatitude, bracket all the ones in between, encompassing all of the verses. Now, what this means is this. The beatitudes are describing the person who is living the life of the kingdom of God. The beatitudes are describing the person who has experienced eternal life and therefore is living in the kingdom of God. One of the things we will discover is Jesus will use this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, six times in the Sermon on the Mount. The kingdom of heaven simply means the place where the king rules. Now one day Jesus is going to return. And oh, when he does, he's going to establish his kingdom. And we're going to see him physically ruling on this earth. Can't you wait? Can't you just wait? But right now, where is Jesus ruling? Well, he's ruling spiritually in the hearts of those who have come to know him. Uh, Jesus said this in Luke 17, 21. The kingdom of God is within you. Now, what that means is this. Even though Beatitudes 3 to 7 promise blessings in the future, we begin to taste them now. Look at the ones that have a future promise. Verse 4, they will be comforted. 
Verse 5, they will inherit the earth. Verse 6, they will be filled. Verse 7, they will be shown mercy. Verse 8, they will see God. Verse 9, they will be called sons of God. And what we are being told here is we will not fully experience all that we have in the Beatitudes until heaven, but the first and the last, we are already, he says, having the kingdom of heaven means we partially experience them now today as the followers of God. I have two books in my library that have very wonderful titles. They're on the Beatitudes alone. One is kingdom living here and now. Another is live like a king. Aren't those great titles? Great titles. What are the Beatitudes? Uh, Kingdom living here and now. And the opportunity for us now as the people of God to live like a king. You know, as I look at this together, I think to myself, uh, my tears will not be fully wiped away until heaven. But haven't we experienced a little comfort right now? Have we not? I look at uh, the beatitude that says we will be filled And I realize that full satisfaction awaits glory when Jesus returns. But let me ask you this morning, isn't there some satisfaction for us right now? And I look at this statement that says in verse 9 about the people of God, they will be called the sons of God. And I say as I look out over this congregation, we do not look like what we will be. But aren't we sons of God now? Yes, we are. And so there is this present reality, even though the fullness awaits the time when Jesus will come. Let's look this morning at a fourth principle. Number four. The Beatitudes progressively build on each other from first to last. In other words, these are not in a haphazard way. Jesus does not throw them together in just a, uh, any old way that he felt a willy-nilly way. The Beatitudes are in the order that they are because one leads to the next. And let me just say this. Without the ones before... It is impossible for us to practice the ones that come after. It's impossible. Uh, Look down at at verse uh, 11 and and notice it says that one of the things that will happen is as we uh, follow our Savior and live this way, that we will be insulted and false things will be said against us. Hey, do you know anybody who can do that without being meek? Do you know anybody who can stand and be insulted and have false things said about them? 
knowing that they have the power to reach out and crush that person who is doing that, yet because they are meek and submissive to God, and sometimes he says, I don't want you to retaliate. Instead, I want you to take it. Do you know anyone who can do that without being meek? I don't know a person who possibly could. So what we begin to discover is unless the first Beatitudes are true in our life, we will not be able to do the others because they progressively build from one to the next. Now, notice how this works so wonderfully. The first four have to do with our relationship with God, verses 3 to 6. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those have to do with our relationship with God. You see, we must see our need, be convicted of our sin before we will ever want a relationship with God. And then when we enter that relationship, then we become meek and we submit to God. And then we begin saying, Lord, I'm going to hunger and thirst after your righteousness because I want to please you. So the first four Beatitudes have to do with our relationship with God. Then notice the next three are how we live for God. Look at verse 7. We will be merciful. Verse 8. We will be pure in heart. Verse 9. We will be peacemakers. This is the way that we now start to live with this God whom we have come into relationship with. And then notice the last one, verses 10 to 12. That's how we're persecuted for God. Jesus lived this way and he suffered. And now as we live this way, we will suffer as well. The world will not always stand and applaud us, but rather will oppose us. I'll never forget hearing Billy Graham say when he became a believer as a, a young man, it was well known in his town. And word quickly got around, Billy Graham has accepted Christ as his Savior. He was still in high school at the time. He went to school the next day after his conversion had taken place. And the teacher said in front of the whole class, I hear we have Preacher Graham with us today. And he said it was just a little beginning of the kind of persecution he would face as a believer. How do you like that? Your first day as a Christian. And that's the way it works. Now notice what we see then. Beatitudes 1 to 4, we start a relationship with God. Beatitudes that follow the next three show us how we live for God. And then finally the last beatitude, which notice Jesus expands the most into three verses because it's so difficult, we prepare ourselves for the abuse that comes. So we see a progression in these beatitudes. Let me give to you a fifth and very important principles. The Beatitudes turn upside down human values by showing what God values. You cannot read these very long without recognizing this isn't how the world works. 
This is what, what I see Monday through Saturday when I'm out in the world. Perhaps you're aware that uh, Pastor A.W. Tozer is probably one of the most quoted pastors of all times. He could say things that I only wish that I would be able to say. He had a life model that was his model for his life. What do you think the great A.W. Tozer's personal life model was? You ready? Here it is. Everything's wrong till God sets it right. You could take that and put it right over the Beatitudes. Take that model as the title of the Beatitudes. What the Beatitudes reveal is the values, priorities, the outlook, the things that the world esteems is totally upside down. It is reverse. And now Jesus comes and he sets about to show the true values that God esteems. And so as we study the Beatitudes, we are looking at how God thinks life should be lived. And it is totally, completely upside down to the way this world lives. Now that necessitates a sixth and final principle. The Beatitudes must be lived by faith. They cannot be lived by sight. In this world where values are so skewed, where priorities are so wrong, where the things that are esteemed are the things that are lightly looked upon by God, the Christian will often find himself not at the top, but at the bottom. The Christian will often find himself or herself getting the short end of the stick. As a matter of fact, if you want to preach that Christians will always be on top and will always have the best in life. Just go down to Haiti. Talk to some of the Christians down there who have one of the lowest standards in the world and try to tell them that and they'll say, are you crazy? Are you crazy? No, as a Christian, we are swimming upstream. We are swimming against the tide and that's hard to swim against the tide. And then all of hell is arrayed against us and all of the world that is under the control of hell is arrayed against us. And therefore, as Christians, we will not always have things going our way in this world. And if we are going to live this way, we cannot do it by sight. We must do it by faith alone because we know this is the way that pleases God. Yesterday, um, it is amazing how the Lord will, will give you examples of what it is that you're going to preach on. And many of us this evening will watch this man in the Super Bowl, Demarius Thomas. 
What we learned in yesterday's paper is that his mother and grandmother will watch him from prison. But when he was 11 years old, the police arrived at his home and they arrested his grandmother and his mother for drug dealing. It was actually the best thing that ever happened to this little boy. Because at 11 years of age, he went to live with his uncle and aunt. His uncle is a Baptist pastor. Pastor James Brown. And coming into that home where he was loved and taught about Jesus and taught the scriptures changed his life. Listen to what his uncle, Pastor Brown, said. I read it yesterday in our mining journal. I truly believe his Christian upbringing and sports, playing basketball and football, contributed to him releasing a lot of the anger and anxiety that he had in him. I never dreamed that he would be in the Super Bowl. I just wanted to make sure the anger in him didn't send him down the wrong path like his mama and grandmama had gone down. His mother was offered a reduced sentence if she would turn state's evidence against her mother, the grandmother. Evidently, the grandmother played a larger role in the drug operation and had been convicted in past for drugs. The, the mother refused to return state's evidence. She got a 20-year prison sentence. The grandmother got two life sentences. And as I read that story, I thought to myself, what if Jesus had saved that mother and gotten a hold of her? What if that had happened? And what if she had decided, I want to be pure in heart? She would have known being pure in heart means being truthful. And she would have said something like this. We've done serious crimes peddling drugs that destroy people's lives. My boy is losing his mom. I'm going to tell all that I know, not that I would get a reduced sentence, but because it is right. I must tell the truth about our drug dealing operation because the police should know. And can you imagine how if that might have happened, how people would take notice? Some would say, wow, what possibly changed this woman? But others would despise her, right? Others would deride her. They would call her a snitch. They would say that she is a rat fink. And probably when she went into prison, she would face greater opposition because she cooperated with the police. But as I think about that potentiality, this is what I know. The only way we will ever practice the Beatitudes is if by faith we know that heaven is watching. And knowing that heaven is watching in this world is the only thing that really matters. 
It's the only thing that really matters. Oh God, you are watching. You have claimed me for your own. I am a child of yours. Jesus is my Savior. He is making a masterpiece of my life. I care not what the world thinks. I care not what the others would say. What I care about is the smile of God upon my life. And the only thing that matters in this world is knowing that heaven is watching. And by faith, I live these beatitudes for God. That's how. We come to this passage. It must be lived by faith. It cannot be lived by sight. We're on a great journey together. What a great Savior we have. Let's today commit our hearts to all that He is doing. Bow with me in prayer, would you? Father, we are so blessed today. Even the poorest, the sickest, the frailest amongst us, has been enriched a thousand times over by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come to you today, Lord, with our lives open to you. We believe that you are speaking through your word. and We are hearing what it is that you have to say. We're thankful, Lord, for those of us who have known Christ for a long time because His salvation is sweeter than anything we know in this world. And we come to you saying with the Apostle Paul, by the grace of God I am what I am, and yet God's grace has not proved vain in my life. I have worked harder than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God within me. And that is the attitude that we come with today, Lord. And we thank you that you will not fail us. The world will fail us. Our circumstances will fail us. But in the midst of those, you are doing the greatest thing possible, transforming the life of a soul. And how wonderful it is to be a part of that great transformation. Father, I pray for someone here today who may not know Christ in a personal way. Lord, maybe they're floundering. Maybe they are just meandering through life. Not knowing that there is a God who loves them. That there is a Savior who died for them. That there is a great plan. And they can become something. Not someone necessarily that the world would consider great. But someone that God approves of and values. And I pray, O oh God, today for any within the sound of my voice. That you would bring them 
Bring them to faith in our blessed Savior. I pray, Father, today for others of us who are present and and maybe we're discouraged in life, thinking that very little is happening to us. Maybe this past year has been a year filled with hardships and we are struggling. Oh, Lord, I pray that we would lift our eyes up and that we would see that You are the God who is making something of us and you are using even the struggles of our life and you have not forgotten us. I pray, Lord, today for some of us who have small ambitions. We're very content where we're at. We're marking time. We're not on the grow with Christ. And I pray for us. Lift up our eyes to what Jesus values and give to us a hunger and a thirst for His way. And may we not be satisfied, Lord, until we see that revealed in our daily walk. Oh, God, thank you today. Come and meet us where we are at. Because we love you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' gracious name. And all of God's people said together.